Sometimes you wanna go where everybody knows your name And they're always glad you came You wanna be where you can see Our troubles are all the same You wanna go where everybody knows your name When my son Dex was little, uh, I would point to something and then he would look at my finger rather than looking at what I'm pointing at, okay? He just didn't understand the idea of pointing. Um, he just thought that I was showing him my index finger. And so I'd be like, over there, and then he'd be staring here and I'd go, no, over there, and he would just stare at it all the more. In the Christmas story, there's a lot of talk about shepherds and wise men and the manger, and that is looking at the finger instead of looking at what all these things are pointing towards. They're pointing towards the explosive truth that the baby lying there is the true king of the world. They're pointing to Jesus, the newborn king, savior of the world. This is God in a bod, Jesus in humanity offering new and startling ways forward and fulfillment of his promises from the ancient world by the power of his love and grace. Santa, lights, trees, presents, joy, they all in some ways point to Jesus. Let's not get caught at staring at the index finger, but rather at what everything is pointing to, and that is Jesus. Well, welcome to week two of Christmas Cheers, the church in a bar. I grew up watching the TV show Cheers. It ran on NBC from September 30th, 1982 to May 20th, 1993. A total of 275 half-hour episodes across 11 seasons. It was nominated for Outstanding Comedy Series for all 11 of its seasons on air. It earned 28 Primetime Emmy Awards from a record 117 nominations. Its final episode, in 1993 became one of the most watched shows in all of television and the most watched in the 1990s. It's a show about a bar, the employees of the bar, and then some of the regular customers. My favorite character was a regular customer named Norm. Whenever he entered the bar, he would say, afternoon everybody, and then the whole crowd would yell, Norm! And then he'd make up a short quip, okay? Let me just show you what I'm talking about with this short video. Afternoon, everybody. Norm! How you doing, Norm? What do you know? Not enough. Afternoon, everybody. Oh. Norm! Morning, everyone. Hey. Norm! What are you up to, Norm? My ideal weight if I were 11 feet tall. <laughs> Afternoon, everybody. Norm! Afternoon, everybody. Oh, Norm! Norm! Norman? What's up, Norm? My nipples. It's freezing out there. <laughs> Afternoon, everybody. Oh, Norm! Afternoon, everybody. Norm! <laughs> Cheers was a great show. It humanized everyone, okay? The sleek, handsome bartender who looked like he had it all together. He's just as broken as you and I. The awkward mailman, he's got a story, okay? He has a family. The rude waitress, she's trying to support her five kids. Everyone has a story. And at Cheers, 
Everybody had a seat. There was no judgment. It was a community where everybody knew your name. Now, in life today, there are all kinds of different kinds of community, okay? CrossFit is a type of community slash cult, okay? A, a local school is a type of community. A group of friends is a type of community. The kind of community that Jesus wants to create is family. Acts chapter 21, verse 17. When we arrived at Jerusalem, the brothers and sisters received us warmly. Acts 28. There we found some brothers and sisters who invited us to spend a week with them, and so we came to Rome. The term brothers and sisters here is used 342 times in the New Testament. Uh, in Greek, it's one word, adelphoi, brothers and sisters. And it is the dominant moniker for what you and I are, what we are supposed to be as a Christian community. God exists in a web of relationships, in a family, right? The Father, Son, Holy Spirit. God exists as a family. Gary Brashears said this, God is a family who makes family. God is love, and love can't exist without relationship. The church, this church, prodigal church, should be like family, okay? I'm picturing all of the Vin Diesel family memes, okay? They may take our lives, but they'll never take our family. We need each other. For over 50 years, the largest man-made structure in the United States wasn't Empire State Building or the Sears Tower in Chicago. No, it was the KVLY radio mast in North Dakota. It was the first man-made structure ever to be over 2,000 feet tall, nearly double the size of the Empire State Building. It broadcasts over 30,000 square feet. How can something so thin be so tall? Well, because it's bound by 40,000 feet of wire and cable, then bound to the earth by concrete. Something can only ascend so tall if it is bound by something else, if it is being held up by many, many other things. The church shouldn't be a place on Sundays where we get an hour of spiritual jollies. It should be family. And family is messy. Family shares responsibilities. Families all pitch in to help with chores. Families know each other's names. We need each other. There is a problem when I see my brother or sister and I go, and what's your name again? Right? No. When they walk in, afternoon everybody, Norm! Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. And pre-COVID, we used to do something in church called a meet and greet. Well, that's just 60 seconds of people shaking hands um, uh, with people around you. And we're not going to do that now, but we're going to do a 60-second wave. Okay? Now, this doesn't work for those who are watching online right now, but in live in person, we're going to go back to the meet and greet just for one day, except for you don't really shake hands. You just kind of wave and maybe you get their name. Okay, go. This week, I was watching some Cheers, and it just struck me the pace of life that was so radically different in the 1980s, okay? 1980s Boston is a lot different than today. In the area of technology, the, the, the pace is fast, and everything is surface level. Gregory Slayton, the CEO of a tech company in the Silicon Valley, said this, that the sense of isolation is a curse. It is the curse 
of 10,000 acquaintances, you find no one to talk to when things go really bad. This should not be as the church. It is not just you and God. We are family. The great civil rights leader and activist, John Perkins said this, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. It's like that radio tower. Uh, you can build something high fast, but it will not last. It will not hold if it doesn't have something else attached to it. The book of Exodus, 17, chapter 17, verse 10, we read this. So Joshua did what Moses had commanded and fought the army of Amalek. Meanwhile, Moses, Aaron, and her climbed to the top of a nearby hill. As long as Moses held up the staff in his hand, the Israelites had the advantage. But whenever he dropped his hand, the Amalekites gained the advantage. Moses' arms soon became so tired he could no longer hold them up. So Aaron and her found a stone for him to sit on. Then they stood on each side of Moses, holding up his hands. So his hands held steady until sunset. And as a result, Joshua overwhelmed the army of Amalek in battle. Sometimes we need some people to get us a stone to sit on. And sometimes we need people to hold our arms. Family. We need each other. Social psychologist James Penbreaker did a massive nationwide research project on trauma and trauma's effect on an adult's long-term health. How some people seem to recover from trauma and others never seem to recover. In his hypothesis, his educated guess as a researcher um, was that the trauma that had a social stigma attached to it, okay, or shame attached to it, it's that kind of trauma that people don't recover from, okay, rape or suicide of a spouse, things like that. And what he found was that that hypothesis was absolutely not true. He discovered that the nature of the trauma was next to irrelevant. He discovered, his conclusion was, all that really mattered was whether or not somebody on the other side of trauma was in a loving relationship with them. If they had a family, if they had a community, if they had a support group, if someone had that, they would nearly always come back healthier than before, no matter what kind of trauma they experienced. See, we are hurt most deepest by our loving relationships, but we are also healed most deeply by our loving relationships. Brene Brown wrote this in her conclusion, in the absence of love and belonging, there is always suffering. The church should be a place of love and belonging to help alleviate the suffering in our world. And Luke chapter 18 says this, to some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. 
but the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. The tax collector. They're the worst of the worst. They're the scum of the earth. They were the very bottom of the religious food chain in ancient Israel. They were hired by pagan Romans so that they could charge exorbitant taxes and keep most of the money for themselves. They were betrayers. They were traitors. He was the villain who wore the black hat. And if you had been a good Jew listening to this story, when he mentions the Pharisees, you would have cheered. Yay, hooray, the good guy. And when he would have mentioned the tax collector, you would have said, boo, hiss, bad guy. But we lose that 2,000 years now. Now we were, we're conditioned to know that the Pharisee is the bad guy. But Jesus is always full of surprises. And in this story and in this context, he introduced a good guy and a bad guy. And by the time the story finished, the good guy had become the bad guy and the bad guy had become the good guy. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself while the tax collector sought God. F.F. Bruce writes this, in the eyes of Christ, a person confessing sin is nearer to true goodness than a person boasting of his goodness. Years ago when I was a youth pastor, I had a teenage girl come up to me and say, Pastor John, can you pray for me? I'm going through one of those seasons where I don't believe in God anymore. And I remember being blown away. She was asking a pastor to pray for her to a God that she doesn't believe in anymore. Her faith coexisted with her doubt. And though her doubts are definitely not uncommon within the church nowadays, her honesty and her transparency, they're a unicorn. And that's why it was so striking. The kind of honesty that she showed to me is unknown, unnatural, and virtually non-existent in the church today. But it's commonplace at the bar. Four years ago, we had pastor, author, and theologian Jonathan Martin here on a Sunday morning to preach. And he was great, okay? As he was preaching, I was amening the heck out of it. Now, we're not really an amening church, okay? It's not very often that our people offer like reinforcement in the middle of a sermon, though it does happen occasionally. And four years ago, Jonathan is preaching on this very same concept uh, of the honesty and the vulnerability of people at the bar and how often it's so much more prevalent there than at the church. And nobody responded, okay? Nobody amended. it. He was up there feeling all alone, okay? Here's a clip of that exact moment. And again, I'm not, I'm not trying to send you out to the, to the bar, but here's my, this is my honest riff. I think people who are vulnerable in a bar are inevitably closer to Jesus than people who are not vulnerable in a church. That's what I think. Because, and six people are like, yes, that's good. Thank you guys. Y'all are my people. That line still preaches today. When we were first in quarantine back in March of 2020, I'm sure you remember it, we as a church staff were trying to figure things out, okay? We wanted to be as careful as possible, and at the time, we only had one video camera to record our service. 
So we as the staff, we shared it, okay? The staff would record part of the service and then I'd go and pick up the camera from them and then I would record my part and on it went throughout the spring. And back in the spring, there wasn't a lot of information about this virus, okay? And there was new stuff coming out every day on whether or not it could spread from services. And so when I picked up the video camera from our connection director, Corey's house, she left it on the porch. Uh, and I had gloves, I had Lysol spray, I had hand sanitizer. I was like Rambo, but with Lysol, okay? And I did all of this before I even put the camera in my truck, okay? So I walk up to Corey's house and I spray that thing like crazy. I wipe it down, I've got a mask on, and it was just about safety, you know? Besides, I know that Corey won't know that I just kind of put on a hazmat suit when I picked up the camera from her porch. Unless, of course, Corey and her family have a ring doorbell, which they did, that would record every move that I made, which Corey then sent to my wife and to the entire staff later that day. Corey said that when she saw me taking all of those precautions from the camera being inside of her house, she said it made her feel dirty. Okay, I'm sorry, Corey, it wasn't about you. So often in the church, religious Christians spend so much time with other religious Christians that when we finally get out of our bubble and we meet someone different, we're walking in an aura of Lysol because we don't want to catch whatever they have. We double glove because it's a slippery slope. God forbid we have a normal conversation with someone. God forbid we get close enough to sinners to hear stories of real life, real vulnerability. So many Christians have built up a world and it's a good world. It's a safe world. It's just not the real one. We are called to be all up in the real world and the real world is messy. And when we surround ourselves with people who are exactly like us, when they think like us and they act like us and they vote like us, when you're walking around surrounded by disinfectant, you're gonna make people cough and no one wants to be around you. The bar is this unique place that it's not work and it's not home, but it's a place to be social, to meet people different than you. The church has some things to learn here. Matthew chapter nine, verse 10. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. In the ancient world, eating with someone was the second most intimate thing you could do with another person. And sinners were drawn to Jesus. What was it about Jesus? What was it about his posture, his aura, his personality that said to sinners, I don't hate you, you're safe with me. Let's eat some food together. Jesus didn't have an aura of Lysol, of disinfectant. He was the only one on planet earth that could judge them, but rather than scold them, he ate with them. Could we do the same? Would we be better representations of Jesus if that when someone is saying and telling stories about their sin, instead of saying something about their sin, if we were to have a meal with them, would we be a better representation 
of Jesus. It was F.B. Meyer who once said that when we see a brother or sister in sin, there are three things we do not know. First, we do not know how hard he or she may have tried not to sin. Second, we do not know the power of the forces that assailed him or her. And third, we also don't know what we would have done in the same circumstances. Don't judge them. Love them. Spend time with them. Pray for them. Eat with them. Something happens when you spend time with people. It makes you a more loving person. It makes you less selfish. Who can you spend time with this week? Who can you pray for this week? Is it a coworker? Is it a boss? Is it a family member? Rather than focusing on their sin, could you have a meal with them? Can you do lunch? And could you love them in a very practical way? This is what the church should do. When you belong to a community of believers who love you as is, that helps us be the people that God has called us to be. We need each other. Family. Family. The New Testament has lots of different ways of saying this. You could call it the one another's. Love one another, Romans 13, 8. Accept one another, Romans 15, 7. Serve one another, Galatians 5, 13. Teach one another, Colossians 3, 16. Encourage one another, Hebrews chapter 10. Bear one another's burdens, Galatians 6, 1. And there are many more. I'd love to do a whole sermon series on each of these, perhaps another time. But this one anotherness has been at the heart of the Jesus tradition from the beginning. Look at what an ancient non-Christian Greek philosopher had to say about Christians in AD 125. Okay, and this was before the emperor Hadrian. In speaking about normal Christians, he wrote, he who has gives to him who has not without grudging. When one of their poor passes away from the world and any of them sees him, then he provides for his burial according to his ability. If they hear that any of their number is imprisoned or oppressed for the name of their Messiah, all of them provide for his needs. And if it is possible that he may be delivered, they will deliver him. If there is among them a man that is poor or needy and they have not in abundance of necessities, they fast two or three days that they may supply the needy with their necessary food. In the first century, this was normal Christianity. Do we reflect that now? What are we known for now? I think the world has a pretty good idea of what we're against, okay? We scream that from our megaphones. But does the world know what we're for? Yes, we are together and not having it together. Everyone belongs. We said this before, I think we said it just a few months back. It's not behave, believe, belong. It's belong, believe, be changed. Everybody belongs. Come as you are. Sometimes in the church, before you are accepted, you gotta behave, you gotta clean yourself up, you gotta hide your struggles, and then you have to believe like us, vote like us, think like us, maybe even look like us. Then and only then are you one of us. That is not the gospel. The good news of Jesus is better than that. Several years ago, there was a girl in an orphanage. She was very unattractive. 
She had mannerisms that were not attractive either. And so she was sadly disliked and shunned by the other children and also not liked by any of her teachers. The head of the institution looked for a reason to send her off to another place, another orphanage. She was awkward. She was uncomfortable. One afternoon, the opportunity came. She was suspected of writing an unapproved illicit note to someone outside of the orphanage. And one of the little girls uh, had just reported, I saw her write a note, case she tattletailed, and she hid it on the tree over near that stone wall. And the superintendent hurried to the tree, found the note, he passed it to his assistant, and the note read, to whoever finds this, I love you. In life, the outcast, the enemy, the person that you think you need to sanitize just might be the person Jesus wants to use to reveal his grace, to reveal his radical love. Family, where everybody knows your name, honesty, vulnerability, and then getting involved in the messy lives of people in the real world. Not sealing ourselves off from the hurt and lives of others, but being a force of love within it. May we not be known as agents of disinfectant and judgment, but agents of love, compassion, of grace, whether we're in church or in a bar. God, I pray in Jesus' name that you make it so. May Prodigal Place be a place of family, vulnerability, and being involved in the messiness of real life, the real world. God, help us in this. We need you. Thank you, Jesus, for how you modeled this in such a beautiful way. May we go and do likewise in Jesus' name. Amen. We want to thank you so much for joining us online at Prodigal Church Fresno. Uh, next week is the finale of our uh, Christmas Cheers sermon series. And it's also Christmas Sweater Sunday. Uh, they're not always all ugly, so we don't call it ugly Christmas sweater. No, no, it's Christmas Sweater Sunday, so bring it out. We've got some fun stuff planned for you. And then uh, in two weeks on the 18th is Christmas Sunday at Prodigal Church with PC Kids um, doing a performance and a winter train rides and pictures with Santa. And it's just gonna be an amazing celebration. We look forward to seeing you soon. Grace, peace, and Merry Christmas.